Kids, what do you think personally is your most useful part of your body? What's the most useful part of your body? Your heart. Your heart. That's a good one. Yes? Your what? Your brain. That's pretty important too. Mason? Brain. Your brain. Okay. Yeah. Your hands and your feet. Your hands and your feet are pretty important too. What else? What's the most important part of your body to you? Um, your stomach. Your stomach? Yeah. Eating's pretty important. Elsie? Your eyes. Your eyes. Seeing is important too. Yeah. Asher? Your head? I'd like to keep my head too. Yes. What part of your body? Your head, yes. I think we all need our heads, don't we? Now, have you guys ever been sick or have you ever broken a bone? Raise your hand if you've been sick or you've broken a bone. Are you sick right now? <laughs> um, who has broken a bone? Raise your hand if you've broken a bone. What bone have you broken, Ethan? Your elbow. What have you broken, Shyla? Your nose and your leg, yeah. Tristan, what have you broken? Your arm? Have you? Or you haven't. <laughs> your leg. I'm your parent. I know that one. <laughs> Have any of you guys been sick just this year? Have you been sick in any way? It's no fun being sick, is it? It's no fun when our bodies don't work. When you were sick, your dad let you watch Wallace and Gromit? That's a good choice. It's no fun when your body doesn't work and, you know, you have it the best you're ever going to have it right now because your body works so well compared to when you get to my age or older when things don't work as well. And it's kind of sad to adults when our bodies don't work so well. And that's just part of life and death. And it's hard, right? I want to show you something. I want you to imagine this is a seed. I didn't, I didn't actually have a seed. Okay, but a seed is something like, this is a little pebble. It's very small. Seeds are very small, right? Yeah. I want you... I want you to imagine this is a seed, a flower seed. Now, a flower seed, after you plant it in the ground or in water, it can grow, right? This is a, this is a hyacinth, right? And so... It can grow from a seed this to something like this, where it has a bulb, it has roots, it has leaves, and then what else does it have? Flowers. Smell it. Does it smell nice? Does it smell nice? You can smell it, right? Isn't it beautiful? Doesn't it smell good? Do you? I have flowers at my house too. Yeah. It's spring, right? So, yeah, your houses, you're beginning to have flowers grow in your, your yards and your garden. You know, in today's passage, what we're going to talk about is this, is that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how all of us have these bodies that are kind of broken, that they're all going to fall apart in some way as we grow older, and that one day, even, we're all going to die at one point or another. No, we don't. That is right. But here's the thing. The hope that we have in our faith in Jesus is that our bodies as we see it now are like the seed. And Jesus says, if we have faith in him, when we die, it's like we plant the seed. And then when Jesus comes back, 
that our new bodies will go from something like this, just a little broken thing, to something much more glorious and beautiful, but also that it will be, it will never die. So imagine, you know, flowers die, right, usually after some time. Imagine this flower just stayed this way forever and ever and ever and was always this beautiful, always smelled so good, and never ever died. I just That's the promise that Christ gives us on Easter. That one day our bodies will be completely transformed and will live forever and ever with God. So I hope for you this Easter, today you'll think about that. That even though our bodies sometimes don't work in this life, that it's like this little seed that when it dies, it will transform into something so beautiful forever and ever. Okay? Thanks for joining me. Go sit with your parents. It's Easter Sunday, so of course we must talk about the resurrection. I would get fired from my job if I didn't talk about the resurrection. And we want to talk about the importance of living out the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the importance of the hope that we have in the next life and really wanting you to think about today, how does the truth of the resurrected Christ impact your daily life? And I hope that we'll see this, that because Jesus is raised from the dead, that through faith in him, we have new life, freedom from sin, and a hope for imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. That's our hope. We're going to look through 1 Corinthians 15, which is a text which really is scripture, some of Scripture's clearest teaching on the resurrection. It's 58 verses talking about what the resurrection is and what it means. And it was an issue that Paul had to deal with in his time as well. There were people questioning whether people, whether Christ really could, could raise from the dead, whether Christ really raised from the dead and whether there is this hope for being raised from the dead. And it's really just as applicable today. We hear over and over again, whether overtly or subtly, that all there is in this life is these physical bodies. And that there's nothing else. There's no supernatural. There's no God. And whether we believe that or not, we have that influence. And it influences how much we believe in this resurrection. And we're led to believe that there is no afterlife. There is no hope for this resurrection, this new life that Paul talks about. And that has an impact on us. And we, we can read all manner of commentaries from renowned biblical scholars who will tell us that we should be skeptical of the resurrection. And the reason for that is that there was a time in theology, and biblical theology, that really doubted the existence of the supernatural altogether. And so they went into reading scripture with an assumption that there is no supernatural. Well, when you go into reading scripture with the assumption that there is no supernatural, then of course you will see you will have doubts and you will see that you should be skeptical about the supernatural things that happen in Scripture. And you will find alternative reasons to explain why the Gospel writers, for instance, or Paul, talks about this resurrection. Now, there's a, really a newer form of skepticism today. Um, it's not as trendy in theology to 
disbelieve the supernatural altogether. And so the newer form of skepticism, really in an almost agnostic way, de-emphasizes the spiritual. And de-emphasizes the, the spiritual and the supernatural in scripture and in uh, the Christian faith. And it, perhaps it's a, a reaction against the type of Christian faith that is focused solely upon saving souls and not on living out the Christian faith in the here and now. And the end times vision then of heaven come down to earth that we pray in the Lord's Prayer becomes only about politically reforming earthly structures and institutions. And also, because there is the spiritual, they would say, and also an individualistic spiritual experiences with God in this life. But that kind of vision of the Christian faith is not the biblical vision. The foundational belief of Jesus' resurrection from the dead points us in a different direction from that. And it points to this future resurrection that all who put faith in Christ will have through the power of Christ's death, uh, power over death. And it gives us a vision of not just trying to make this world slightly better or a vision of just possibly one day we'll be these bodiless spirits floating around in heaven rejoicing with God forever. The vision is one that includes a restored world, but also us as people with renewed heavenly bodies that are still physical at the same time. And as Paul says, if we don't believe in the gospel of the resurrected Christ, then we have believed in vain. And so we need just as much today as in Paul's time to remember the importance of the resurrection. So we're going to go through some highlights in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to read verse 3 through 6 here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means have died. We see here just in this section that Paul believes the resurrection is real, that Jesus raised from the dead. And Paul plainly tells us that there was a historical Jesus, that this Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross, that this Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. And he cites this as his belief, and he cites also that there are many other eyewitnesses, that the 12 were also eyewitnesses to that, that 500 others were eyewitnesses to that, and that Paul himself was an eyewitness to it. He cites specifically that the gospel of the resurrected Jesus is the gospel that all the apostles have taught and it is the gospel that the Corinthian church themselves had believed as true, although have begun to wonder from. In verse 17, he goes on to say, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are are of all people most to be pitied. That, that last verse, again, points, speaks against this vision of the Christian life as being just about reforming earthly institutions here, about just having spiritual experiences here. He points to a grander end times vision than that. Paul goes on to say, right, that if we believe that Jesus did not raise from the dead, that our faith is futile, it is pointless, it is meaningless. He's not mincing his words here. 
And it's a vital point that he makes here for any of us in this room who might struggle with believing that Scripture is untrustworthy, that we have a low view of Scripture and its trustworthiness. But Paul says here, if we, if we can't trust Scripture to describe historical events, if we can't trust Scripture to accurately describe supernatural events at the hand of God, if we can't trust Scripture describing a historical Jesus who lived, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, then we are left with nothing of substance. We are left without a foundation. We are left with nothing trustworthy to believe in. Paul says we should be pitied as fools for believing this and centering our lives around this truth and that we should in fact just go eat, drink, and be merry if Christ had not raised from the dead. Because then the Bible would become just like any other ancient piece of fiction or ancient telling of history that is flawed in in many ways, we would ask ourselves, why would we center our life around such a flawed document, such a piece of fiction even? Why would we heed the call to sacrifice our lives and our comfort for the sake of others, even to the point of willing to give up our lives like martyrs of the faith have done throughout Christian history? If scripture is not trustworthy, then why would we do any of that? What hope do we actually have in this life or the next if Jesus has not, in fact, raised from the dead? What hope do we have if the conspiracy theory is true? They had conspiracy theories way back then, too. The conspiracy theory that the disciples managed to steal Jesus' body from the tomb and then spread the lie that he had raised from the dead so that they could continue this movement that had begun? If that conspiracy theory were true, then we would not want to believe in it and to center our lives around it and give up our lives for it. And there's no way, right, if you put yourself in those disciples' shoes, that if this conspiracy theory is true, that they would be willing to die, knowing that they were the ones who stole the body of Christ and then spread the lie. What good would it be for them to do that and then to go die for such a lie? We already know that when Jesus went to the cross, they slinkered away in fear for their lives. If Jesus had not raised from the dead, if the conspiracy theory was true that the disciples were the one who took the dead body, then why would they be willing to die for this lie that they had begun. I don't know if you guys have heard of the story of Theranos. It's a company, a medical technology company that was started by Elizabeth Holmes in 2003. And um, Holmes started it when she was 19 and it became very popular very quickly and was talked about in the news. And Theranos was successful in raising $700 million in investment money, was valued at $10 billion at its height. And yet subsequently it was exposed to have essentially false claims of their technology being able to um, create blood tests on only very small amounts of blood, pinpricks amounts of blood. 
And so now Theranos is shut down and is worth zero dollars and they've had to settle lawsuits along the way and Holmes and another former CEO is under federal grand jury charges. They, ple they pleaded not guilty, but regardless of how that federal case goes, we know that the technology of Theranos is, is a sham, that it's a lie, that it never could do what it promised to do. And I highly doubt that Holmes or any other employee who knew that the technology was a lie would be willing to die for such a claim. And this is just a company, a piece of technology, your reputation at best. Why would the disciples be willing to die for a lie they started themselves? The resurrection of Christ is real. Our hope as Christians in the love of God, in the restoration of this world, in a future worth living is dependent upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not raised from the dead, then Jesus is not God. Then our sins are not forgiven. Then we are still under the power of sin and we still have to face the consequences of our wrongs, whether spiritually or physically. Then we are left really without a Christian hope in the end. And Paul goes on to say in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's saying we have to be in these resurrected, new, heavenly bodies in order to be in this kingdom of God that God is bringing in. We can't just make this kingdom of God here on earth with our own powers amidst the broken structures, amidst the broken creation that exists. God has to do it by redeeming all of creation. And a part of that is resurrecting our broken, perishable bodies. If God's work is, again, to bring heaven down to earth as we pray in the Lord's Prayer every week, then the inhabitants of that kingdom on earth must have new heavenly bodies, as Paul talks about here, to match that heaven come down to earth. We need to be reminded of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus and the implications it has on us and how we live out our lives. As Christians, we talk a lot about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, but we don't talk anywhere near enough about the resurrection of Christ, about the resurrection we will have and experience as a result of faith through Christ. They go together. It's a package deal. They cannot have meaning apart from one another. The death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection from the dead must go together. Because if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then again, we are left in our sins. And Jesus would be found to be a fraud. All of the prophecies that he said that he had fulfilled would in fact not be fulfilled. He would be a mere man who had some grandiose, delusional ideas of being a savior to the world. So the question is, do you believe in Jesus as the crazy man? Or do you believe in Jesus as the God-man who raised from the dead, who has power over death? There is no other choice. There is no middle ground. There is no third way. He was either a crazy man or he was indeed the God-man that he said he was. Jesus rose from the dead. And that means for us, we have new life. 
We have freedom from sin. We have hope for these imperishable, glorious, powerful spiritual bodies one day. Verse 45 says this, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And then verse 49, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, which is Jesus Christ. I love this fresh way of describing the gospel. It's really just a very succinct way to describe all that is included in the gospel. And that is all of us, all of humanity, follow in the footsteps of Adam, Adam and Eve since the fall. That we are men and women of dust. That we are bound to death and decay. And to the despair that comes with the reality of that death and decay. We carry the image of the man of dust. But the last Adam here refers to Jesus Christ. He is the life-giving spirit. And it is through faith in him, through faith in his death on the cross, through faith in his resurrection from the dead, that we have hope that we too will be raised from the dead, that we too will be delivered from these bodies of death that Paul talks about in Romans. We have hope for these new bodies that Christ will resurrect our broken bodies and redeem us. We will bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. We won't become God, but we will become like Jesus in that we will be perfect. We will sin no more. We will suffer no more. We will sorrow no more. We will have sickness no more. We will die no more in these redeemed, resurrected bodies that are imperishable. This is the gospel, that we will be like Jesus in this way. And yet he does paint a beautiful picture, picture in verse 42 to 44. It is, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We have this hope that through faith in Jesus Christ, these broken bodies that are bound to death and decay will one day become bodies that are imperishable, powerful, glorious, spiritual. And not spiritual in the way that we always tend to think about. Bodiless spirits floating around. When Jesus raised from the dead, he had body, he had matter, he had a physicality, physicality to him. He told Thomas to put his hand into Jesus' side and into his hands to see how he was pierced for our sins upon the cross. This is the hope that we have. That we will have these heavenly bodies that are somehow physical and yet completely different. And as one theologian described, our future heavenly bodies will be a body glorified with eternal life. I love that phrase, a body glorified with eternal life. Sickness is a real thing. It was funny when I was talking about this with the kids and I said, we all die. One child said, what? Oh, to have that innocence again. To be shocked to hear that. We know as young adults and adults and even teenagers that sickness is a real thing. That death is a real thing. That people all over the world in all different cultures are obsessed with sickness and death. Are trying to make peace 
with the reality of sickness and death in some way. 100% of people have to deal with sickness and death. No one is excluded. Even the healthiest person you can find has to deal with it. And I want to ask you this. Are you sick of sickness? Are you sick of sickness? I am. I can't imagine being a doctor or a nurse, and I know we have many in here. The weight of facing sickness every day. It's hard. I may have mentioned some of these examples before, but my best friend from seminary collapsed and died from playing a game of basketball. The guy that I play basketball with so much, and he died because he had an enlarged heart condition that he didn't know about. Another really good friend died from an epileptic seizure in the arms of his wife. My brother-in-law a few years ago died from stomach cancer. My dad's youngest brother struggled with mental illness all of his life. And one year, I don't even remember the year, not maybe 10 years ago, he died on my birthday. We don't really know of what, or just maybe our family doesn't want to talk about it. But my guess is either overdose or suicide. One of the Hope for Johnson County board members was diagnosed with stage four cancer just a month ago. So many of you right here in this room have struggled with years and years of chronic pain and illness. So many of you have had your hearts broken by seeing loved ones struggle with sickness or succumb to death as a result. You may or may not have heard, and we've mentioned it briefly here, just last night in Sri Lanka, over 200 people died from bombings at at least three churches and three hotels targeting Catholics and foreigners mostly. Sickness and death are a real thing. I used to think that I was unusual to have these stories of sickness and death. And I realized literally just this year, preparing the sermon, that it's just normal. When you get to a certain age, you just collect enough of these stories. I thought, oh, it's just because I'm special and I'm a pastor and at 43 I have all these stories. And it's no, it's just, it's just life. So I know those who are 50, 60, 70 have so many more stories of people they know personally, not just people in the news, people they know personally who have succumbed to sickness and death in a way that just breaks the spirit. Our sin problem had to be dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ. And he had to raise from the dead to show that he had power over sin over sickness, over death. Our sin problem had to be dealt with first so that our sickness problem could be dealt with. We have this hope as Christians that because Jesus raised from the dead, that through faith in him, we have new life, we have freedom from sin, and we have hope for imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. In the, liturgical, in the liturgical tradition, the beginning of Lent is Ash Wednesday. And commonly on Ash Wednesday, if you go to Ash Wednesday service, the priest or the minister will put dust on your forehead. And he will say to you, or she will say to you, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. It's meant to be a reminder to us that as we find ourselves in this world, we live in a world of decay and death. In case we forget, which we often do. It is a reality we must contend with. But we are not left with the despair of death and decay because of the hope we have in Christ. The words, for you are dust and to dust you shall return, come from Genesis 3.19 when God was expressing the consequence of Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God and the consequence of death and sickness and fallenness being introduced into this creation by their choice. But even in the midst of judgment of Satan, Adam, and Eve, God makes a promise right there and then that he would send a savior to deliver us from the despair of death and decay. Once, we were merely men of dust who had no other hope. But through Christ and his resurrection, we have hope to be men and women of heaven, to bear the image of the life-giving spirit, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have hope for imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. And I want to leave you with this application. It's the application that Paul leaves us with in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray.